We thank you for the privilege of worshiping you here tonight, God, and having your spirit so near to us as we set our hearts and minds upon you. God, we would just ask your continued blessing now on our time together as we study your word, Lord. We ask that you would speak to our hearts, God, that you would uh, bring these passages alive to us, Lord. Give us some application, Lord. Just let it minister into our lives. And Lord, finally, we do want to just lift up this weekend's retreat for our young people, Lord. What a blessing. A good-sized group of kids going down to the Newport Beach area just to have a good time of fellowship, camping, fun. And Lord, time of spiritual renewal and retreating and, and the Word of God being sown into their life. We pray, Lord, that this would be a blessed weekend for them, that lives would be touched and changed, oh God. Pray that friendships and relationships would be strengthened and, Lord, that you would be glorified. God, keep them safe. And, and Lord, we pray just um, your, your anointing on the entire weekend for our young people. We thank you now for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, please open them with me to the book of Judges, chapter 12. Judges, chapter 12. I hope to, tonight to look at chapters 12 and 13. If you'll remember, we're in this place in the book of Judges where a man by the name of Jephthah has been used mightily by the Lord. We saw the deliverance that the Lord brought through Jephthah. He was a man from Gilead, which is, was the, uh, the part of Israel that was actually settled on the east side of the Jordan River. Reuben, Gad, the half-tribe of Manasseh. This was known as the area of Gilead. And the people of Ammon, had uh, the Ammonites had been oppressing Gilead, and then eventually they began to cross over the Jordan and to distress Benjamin and Ephraim as well. The rest of Israel uh, came under their oppression. And, of course, the people cried out to the Lord. They, the Lord allowed them to come under oppression because of their backsliding and sinning against the Lord. And this is the cycle that we've seen through the book of Judges. God delivers them. They get their hearts right and they have peace for a season. But then they begin to drift away, away from God and begin to practice idolatry. They begin to be kind of um, a lack of diligence in their spiritual and worship life. And they start worshiping some of the gods of the people around them. And then God allows their enemies to oppress them, to get their attention and that they would turn their hearts back to him. And that when they cry out and pray, God then raises up a judge, a deliverer, someone to help them. Jephthah is the one that we've just recently studied. And uh, he was able to defeat the people of Ammon, a great victory. In fact, 20 cities he conquered, a, a very great slaughter, the scripture tells us. And you remember in chapter 11, as he was coming back from the, his victory, just rejoicing in the Lord, he said, Lord, whatever comes out of my tent, the first uh, thing that comes out of my tent, I'm going to offer to the Lord. And uh, he was disappointed that it was his daughter that came out dancing from the tent, and it was his only child. And as we looked at this uh, Last time we studied, uh, most likely she then had to simply give herself to the Lord, remaining unmarried and a virgin for the rest of her life. And uh, this was a sacrifice, but it was Jephthah keeping his vow and his daughter wanting him to keep his vow. And now we come to chapter 12, following this battle. And pick it up with me here, and we'll see uh, the tribe of Ephraim once again starting to stir some trouble. Uh, verse 1, Then the men of Ephraim gathered together, 
crossed over toward Zephon and said to Jephthah, Why did you cross over to fight against the people of Ammon and did not call us to go with you? We will burn your house down on you with fire. And Jephthah said to them, My people and I were in a great struggle with the people of Ammon. And when I called you, you did not deliver me out of their hands. So when I saw that you would not deliver me, I took my life in my hands and crossed over against the people of Ammon. And the Lord delivered them into my hand. Why then have you come up to me this day to fight against me? Now you may remember Ephraim, this tribe, this group of people within the nation of Israel, after Gideon's uh, victory. Remember Gideon had this wonderful victory that the Lord gave him. And uh, the tribe of Ephraim came and said to, to uh, Gideon, Why didn't you call us before the battle? You know, now you guys have won this battle and we're not getting any credit. We're not getting any recognition here. You're the big hero, you know, and we're just, you know, why didn't you call us? We wanted to be able to participate in the the spoils of war and the notoriety and the fame that you're now enjoying. This is the same thing they said to Gideon. And Gideon was very shrewd, and he answered them very gently and said, Oh, but you guys are such a great tribe, and you actually captured some of the kings as they were trying to escape. You've done something even far greater than than what I've done. He kind of flattered them. And that seemed to appease them. Yeah, I guess you're right. We are pretty, pretty great. Okay, Gideon, you're all right. And they made peace. Well, Jephthah is not quite as political as Gideon. Jephthah says, What are you talking about? You know what? We were under duress. We called you. You weren't around. We, God gave us the victory. And now you're here after the fact. You weren't here you know, volunteering your services during the battle or before the battle when we really needed, needed you to stand up. But now, now that the victory has been won, now that the Lord has given this, uh, you know, this, this great defeat... Now you want to know why, you know, we didn't call you so you could, again, once again, enjoy the recognition and the notoriety and the fame that you so desire. Really something of their own pride and something of a jealous envy that is just kind of seems to be characteristic of this tribe in Ephraim. And uh, they, come, they come to Jephthah and they said, you know, you didn't let us fight with you. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to burn your house down on top of you with fire. That sounds fair, doesn't it? You know? <laughs> um, well, Jephthah says, uh, you know, you guys are in the wrong here. Uh, you, you were not a help. And, and, you know, you should have been here when we really needed help. You know, it, it just points out this, again, this, this seems to be a root that's in the, the, this Ephraim tribe. You know, Gideon kind of appeased it, right? But, he, but it was never really dealt with in their own heart. They still desired, you know, the recognition and the fame that others were getting in the way that the Lord was using them. Gideon was used mighty of the Lord. Well, then they were jealous of that, envious of that. They wanted that recognition. Now Jephthah has been used mightily of the Lord. And Ephraim, oh, we want that, we, we, want, we want that. We're, we're not getting enough recognition. And so this thing was never really dealt with. This is something of a root, a stronghold, really, that's kind of taken hold just in the character of this people and this tribe. 
And, um, you know, the scriptures talk about these, uh, this stronghold of jealousy and, and uh, envy and pride and wanting that recognition that comes uh, even from the Lord working in someone else's life. You become jealous of that. You, you resent that. You, you want that for yourself. And it reminds us all the way back to Cain and Abel, doesn't it? Even the beginning, Genesis. And I have that passage for you. I want you to recall it to your memory here. Genesis chapter 4 and verse 3. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering... But he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was what? Very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. This spirit of jealousy and envy is a very um, fierce enemy. And it gripped the heart of Cain so much so that he killed his own brother, murdered his brother because he was jealous of the Lord's approval upon his brother. And the Lord tries to correct him. Look, what's wrong with you? Don't you know if you do well? The Lord is not a respecter of persons. God's not looking to play favorites. God will use your life. God will bless you. God will care for you and your ministry and those things that you entrust to Him. You don't need to be jealous of another man or another woman's ministry. You do what God's called you to do. And you will do well. as You will also be accepted. You will also receive that joy and that that sense of fulfillment of having God used your life and God blessed your life. But he says, listen, if you don't, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should or you must rule over it. God giving Cain warning, listen, sin wants to take advantage of you. This is something in your heart that's not right. You need to turn it over to the Lord. You need to get rid of it and do well and you'll be blessed. But if you don't, it's going to take advantage of you. And as I mentioned, this, this jealousy, this envy, it's a, it can be a very fierce stronghold in the heart of any of us. It was, uh, it was envy that caused the chief priests to hand Jesus over to the Romans to be crucified. That's in several places in the gospel. Uh, another, uh, some, just some verses here, just kind of, I'll have them again for you on the overhead, just, just some, some reinforcement of this, uh, this enemy of our heart that we must guard against. Proverbs 27, 4, wrath is cruel and anger a torrent, but who is able to stand before jealousy? Jealousy has a, is a very kind of a, uh, just a, Obsessive kind of stronghold in the heart. 1 Corinthians 3, 3, For you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? Look, this is not the fruit of the Spirit. This is not the work of God in your life. 
James 3.16, For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Proverbs 14.30, A sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. So we see Ephraim. They They were jealous for Gideon's success. They are now jealous and envious of Jephthah's success. So much so that they want to kill him. They want to burn his house down. They're so angry that they didn't get in on this credit. Well, let's read on. Pick it up with me, verse 4. They're going to meet someone who's just a little bit tougher than them this time. Now Jephthah gathered together all the men of Gilead and fought against Ephraim. And the men of Gilead defeated Ephraim because they said, You Gileadites are fugitives of Ephraim among the Ephraimites and among the Manassites. What they're accusing them is saying, Look, you guys aren't really part of our nation anyway. You settled over there on the east side of the Jordan. You're fugitives. You're not even part of true Israel. Now, that's, that was a lie. Because remember... They had, they had gotten permission, Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh had gotten permission to settle on the east side of the Jordan. They got that permission from Moses. God had allowed this. Joshua also reinforced and supported this. They were not uh, you know, refu- uh, fugitives of the nation. Rather, they were part of the nation. And so Ephraim really starts to kind of bring this accusation. And this, this, this incites the Gileadites, and now they fight. Look with me now in verse 5. The Gileadites seized the fords of the Jordan before the Ephraimites arrived. And when any Ephraimite who escaped said, let me cross over, the men of Gilead would say to him, are you an Ephraimite? If he said no, then they would say to him, then say Shibboleth. And he would say, Sibboleth, for he could not pronounce it right. Then they would take him and kill him at the fords of the Jordan. There fell at that time 42,000 Ephraimites. A civil war breaks out. And the uh, Gileadites, they, they cut off the escape route, route to, for, for the men of Ephraim to come back across the Jordan. And as they're fleeing... They, had, they set up this little test just to see if they are, are you fleeing, are you part of the tribe of Ephraim? No, 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 I'm just crossing the Jordan. Oh, really? Well, then say, say Shibboleth for us. Shibboleth. <laughs> they couldn't quite get the, the SH sound. Now, you know, this is in Hebrew, so we don't know how it translates. But uh, obviously there was just that, that dialect, right? Just that little drawl uh, from, from one side of the Jordan to the other. People spoke slightly different, and there was this pr- pronunciation that they couldn't quite get right. And that's the test that uh, they used, uh, Jephthah and his men, to actually kind of uh, root out all the Ephraimites. They're defeated. And uh, as as I said, pretty bloody, 42,000 Ephraimites, you know, they didn't learn their lesson when they had opportunity peacefully with Gideon to get their hearts right and to recognize that uh, what they were feeling and thinking was not right. Now they're paying a much higher price because they've incited war against themselves. All right. Well, verses 7 through 15 now kind of finishing up. 
chapter 12. And um, it says, uh, we'll just read verse 7 and then I'll just summarize the rest. And Jephthah judged Israel six years. Then Jephthah the Gileadite, uh, the Gileadite died and was buried among the cities of Gilead. And then the, the following verses mention some of the key men that continued to judge Israel. There's no more battle or deliverance. But what we see here now is after, after Jephthah defeats the Ammonites, 32 years of peace uh, now come to the nation of Israel. So a great, uh, and Jephthah is mentioned in the Hall of Faith chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, as a man of faith, the Lord used him in a beautiful way, and um, God delivered the nation of Israel. Now moving on to chapter 13. Now we're going to get into the birth of Samson. Samson, of course, how many have heard of Samson, right? Almost everybody has heard of Samson. He's probably, other than Gideon, he's probably one of the more famous judges of Israel. And quite a few chapters here now devoted to Samson's life and his ministry. Uh, it's going to be a, a story of great promise and potential that ends in great defeat and failure. Samson is something of a tragedy, really, in the scripture. Uh, and as we'll see here, as we study and take a look at the promise of his birth, uh, this was a man that God had so blessed, and a man that God had so called and set apart for really great things for his people, for his nation. And God will accomplish his will. Samson will be used mightily for God's purposes of defeating Philistines and giving rest. But Samson himself will fall to the frailties of his own character. And uh, that's, how the, that's the story that will play out here before us as we work our way through these chapters. Take a look with me now. Chapter 13 and beginning in verse 1. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord... What a surprise. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. So they've come out of the deliverance from Jephthah. They've enjoyed 32 years of peace, but now their hearts again turn away from the Lord. They stray from God. And the Lord allows these Philistines to come and oppress them for 40 years. This is the longest time of oppression that we have in all the book of Judges. This is the longest amount of time that the nation of Israel is under this kind of uh, oppression. The Philistines were a sea people that had migrated uh, mainly from parts of Greece. And they had settled on the coastal land of Canaan. And uh, they, Israel, even when Joshua came in with the nation, uh, in the, in the, as they were taking conquest of the land, uh, the area of the Philistines, they never really were completely able to root out the Philistines. And so they just kind of learned to accommodate them. They kind of learned to uh, coexist with the Philistines. But now, as they've turned away from the Lord, the Lord is allowing the Philistines to rise up against them and uh, begin to oppress them. Something else that we notice here, and we'll see as we move on, there is no evidence of the people crying out for deliverance. In, all, in the earlier cases, when God raised up a judge, it came at the request of the people crying out to the Lord. When they began to realize that we're suffering this consequence because we've, we've turned our back on the Lord, 
We need to cry out to God and repent and return to the Lord and ask for Him to deliver. That doesn't happen here. There doesn't seem to be any real repentance. The people just learn to live under this oppression. They just learn to live under, you know, in, in something less than what God has for them. And they, instead of turning their heart, instead of crying out in faith, instead of you know, praying, they just kind of keep going. They just exist. It's kind of sad, really, to think that God's people could come to a place in their lives where they are just resigned to living under the oppression of the enemy. Just, just kind of surrendering, this is just our lot. You know, I, I think of our own lives as Christians. God has given such promise. God has given such hope for us in Christ. And yet oftentimes, because of our own mistakes, our own choices, we find ourselves living in something less than what we know God has for us. And then instead of repenting, instead of getting our hearts right and crying out to God and returning to the Lord, we just kind of learn to settle. This is just going to be my Christian journey. This is what my Christian experience is going to be. There's nothing I can do about it. I'm just going to have to learn to live with it. And I don't believe that's what the Lord has for any of us, but rather that we would rise up in faith and that we would take hold of those things that God has promised and that we would walk in the fullness of what He desires for us. It may take some repentance. It may take some crying out to God. It may take some real seeking the Lord and, and committing your heart to change, but that would be, that would be worth it. Versus living under something less than what God would have for you. But here the people, we don't see them crying out. They're just kind of cooperating. And in fact, it seems that they've become so accustomed to this rule of the Philistines that they really don't want anybody to even rock the boat. We don't want a deliverer because if he doesn't succeed, things will get worse for us. So they're kind of living in fear and they're living in kind of a settled compromise. During this time, uh, of, of which we will be studying, uh, the, the life of Samson. This, the, this rule of the Philistines, this is the same time that Eli and his sons, you remember Eli, Eli was the priest uh, when Samuel was born, Hannah praying out for, the, for Samuel. It was the Philistines' oppression. All of that took place under the oppression of the Philistines. So uh, Samson is a contemporary with these other men. Now, Samson is before Samuel, but not by much. It's estimated uh, Samson was about 14 years old, a teenage, young teenager when Samuel was born. And, of course, uh, we know that uh, eventually the Philistines would capture the ark. We know that they would, that Eli and his sons would be killed in battle. And it wouldn't be until Samuel and eventually David that would ultimately cast off the bondage of the Philistines. But Samson is the forerunner. Samson is the first one that God uses. And he doesn't use Samson to completely uh, defeat the Philistines, but rather to trouble them. Almost as if just to keep them at bay. He does the early work of softening them up and disrupting their rule over God's people. And then it will be Samuel and David that will finish the work. But now we want to see just the kind of promise and potential that Samuel, excuse me, Samson was born into. Pick it up with me now in verse 2. Now there was a certain man from Zorah of the family of the Danites whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, 
Indeed, now you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Now therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink, and not to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. A man by the name of Manoah and his wife. Now, we do not know her name. Uh, The historian Josephus tells us tradition that she was very beautiful, but we do not know her name other than she is the wife of Manoah. And we know that she was barren. She was without child. And this angel of the Lord appears and begins to bring promise and hope of a coming child. She was barren. She was barren barren during this season that Israel was living in rebellion, living under oppression. But as we'll see, Manoah and his wife, they were praying people. They were, they were godly people. And so you would think, you know, here's a godly couple. Here's, here's a remnant of really true praying, God-fearing people, and yet they are barren. You know, it seems that sometimes uh, our lives can go through seasons of barrenness. And even while, even though we're praying, and then we see others who are not praying, we see others who aren't living for God, and they seem to be fruitful, and their lives, in some cases, seem to be prospering, and we wonder, what's going on in our life? But in this case, God was sovereignly keeping this couple barren because He wanted to bring a very specific purpose. He wanted them to be ready for this birth of Samson as we'll see it play out. And, and you know, you have to, we have to accept that there are times in all of our lives where we may go through certain barrenness. You know, Jesus said that as branches, we're to bear fruit. But even the Father, who is the gardener of the branches, He will prune the, the, the branches so that they will in time bear more fruit. Now, you know a branch, after it's been pruned... It's not very fruitful. It goes through a time of barrenness before it actually begins to come back and bear more fruit. And so there is lesson there for us. You may be in a season that seems dry. You may be going through a certain barren time in your life spiritually or financially or emotionally or your family. There's just You can't understand why, God. Why am I in this drought? Why am I in this desert place? Don't lose hope. Trust in the Lord. Wait on the Lord. God may have you in that season for the very purpose that you don't understand yet, but in time, God is going to reveal uh, fruitfulness again in your life. Maybe maybe you've been pruned because God wants to bear even more fruit in your life. And I have discovered in my own life, during going through seasons uh, that I would consider barren, when God does bring me through, and He does... When, when the fruit begins to come and, and the refreshing begins to come, it's even more precious. It's even more deeper appreciation for what God is now doing. And I, I think sometimes God allows that, lest I just get, you know, casual in my uh, fruitfulness, just kind of assuming that things will go this way and that this is just my good fortune in God and, and He's just going to... Bl- you know, I think God sometimes withdraws so that we would remember... <laughs> I'm desperate for you, Lord. 
I need you, God, and get me crying out and get me, you know, really back to where I where I need to be always, which is in that place of humble submission and devotion to the Lord. So we find this couple, they're barren, and yet the Lord comes to them and brings this beautiful message to the wife of Manoah, an angel of the Lord, and comes and announces a coming child. And this child is to be consecrated from the womb. This reminds us of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was to be born a Nazarite for life. And the Nazarite was, uh, the, the word Nazarite simply means set apart and consecrated unto God. And as we, saw, as we learned in the book of Numbers, one could take what's, what was called a Nazarite vow, and it would be for a season, a, a set time, that you would set aside just to consecrate yourself to the Lord. And it would affect your diet, you wouldn't cut your hair, men wouldn't shave. It would be this season of just complete dedication to the Lord. And after that vow was over, well, then you would shave and cut your hair and go back to your regular diet. But in this case, Samson was to be a Nazarite for life. In the same way John the Baptist was set apart, and set apart from the womb, and in this case, even before the womb. Uh, Manoah and his wife... She was not yet pregnant. The, the angel of the Lord is announcing this child even before he's conceived. God has a plan. God has a purpose. You know, um, it's interesting that today there is so much discussion, isn't there, about when life uh, actually begins and when, it, when, a, when a fetus becomes a, a person and when that fetus has rights. I mean, this is something that's debated in our culture. But in the Bible... Things are pretty clear. Uh, God has plan and purpose even before conception. And so once a child is conceived, conceived, they're conceived with promise and hope from the Lord. In the book of Ephesians, it tells us that we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God has plan and purpose for each life. And this was not only a calling um, for ultimately Samson, but this was a calling for the parents. It's a blessing to see this mother called to honor this vow during the time of the child, while the child would be in her womb. And it, it speaks to the responsibility of motherhood, the, you know, the, the care that you would give a child even while in the womb. The angel of the Lord is saying, listen, there's something precious in your womb, and I want you to consecrate yourself for this purpose, because the life you carry has purpose and calling. And so it speaks to the heart of mothers that you know, even when a child is in your womb, that you would manage your life responsibly for the sake and life of the child. It speaks to the responsibility of parents. They would, they would have to raise up this Samson in this very special way. I mean, you know, you can just imagine as he gets to be a young boy, hey, how come everybody else is getting haircuts and I never get one? How come I, my hair looks so long, you know? How come I can't eat grapes like the other boys? Nothing from the vine was to be touched. So this is going to be a responsibility for the parents. They're going to have to raise Samson with the understanding, listen, you can't be like everybody else. You're not going to be able to partake in everything else because God has something planned for you. God has something special for you. 
that requires a separation from everyone else. And this is a message that we have to sow, I think, into our children as well as Christian parents. Listen, you know, the world has so much to attract and to distract and to offer. Why can't we? And how come I, they, and I, they get to and we don't get to? Why do they, why, their parents don't mind if they do that. How come you can't be cool like them, dad and mom? You know, why don't you, because God has something for you, son, daughter. God has something set apart for you. And we, we want to preserve your life for that purpose. We want to dedicate you to the Lord. And we want to raise you in a way that would protect you to come into the fullness of God's calling and plans for your life. A real call to, to Samson's parents to prepare this child. And we know that God has plans for each life and purpose and good works that he's prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He shall, verse 5, it says, He shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. As I mentioned, he would never really complete the work. He would, he would really be more of trouble for the Philistines, keep them uh, at bay from completely ruling and dominating the nation. But it would be Samuel and David who would eventually complete the work. And I think this is a valid um, point for us to consider also. You know, some, some of us are just called to begin things. You know, you've you got to recognize that, that your life is in the plan of God, and it is for a period of time, a specific generation that He has charted you to be in. And He has a work and a ministry for you to fulfill. And it may be that what God has called for you in the case of Samson, it was to begin a work of deliverance. Even, even had Samson been all that, that he needed and could have been as a man, we know that he's a man of great failure, but, but God says right here from the beginning that he, would continue, that he would begin this work of deliverance. It was never God's intention that Samson would be the completer of the work, but rather just the beginning of the work. Maybe, you're, maybe God's called you to begin something. Maybe God's called you to maintain and sustain something. Maybe God call, has called you to finish something. It's important to recognize that God has not called any one of us to do it all. But we have a part to play, and, and we need to be content with that. Maybe, maybe we're just beginning something here. And in you know, 50 years from now, who knows what this church will look like? Who knows what your family legacy will look like? You're just beginning something today. Or maybe you're just sustaining something that's been handed to you, and you're passing the baton of faith to the next generation. We are in the plan of God. And He has sovereignly put us in this place for such a time as this. And what He's looking for is not for you and I to somehow figure it out and make it all, you know, complete it all, but rather just to be faithful with what's been entrusted to us. And that's a place of peace. That's a place of rest. That's not a place... I don't have to strive. I don't have to make it all happen. It may just be that, you know, this is my peace. This is my part in the kingdom work. And this is my generation to serve. And so be faithful. And then God will take care of the future legacy, and God will sustain that with others that would come behind you. So we see that Samson was not called to completely deliver Israel, but rather to begin the deliverance from the Philistines. Let's look on now. Pick it up with me in verse 6. This angel of the Lord visits the wife. 
And she comes back to report this to her husband. Verse 6. So the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came to me, and his countenance was like the countenance of the angel of God. She knows there's something special. He might, maybe he's a prophet, maybe some kind of an angelic being. She's not sure. Very awesome. But I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. And he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. Now drink no wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O my Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent... whom you sent come to us again and teach us what we shall do for the child who was born. So the wife comes and relays this story and you can kind of, Manoah is saying, what? You saw some guy, where was he from? Well, I didn't ask him where he was from. Well, what was his name? I don't know what his name was. He told you that you're going to have a child and that he's going to be some consecrated child unto the Lord. Yep, that's what he said. You can just imagine this, right, husbands? Okay. Honey, where, honey, what have you been doing? What have you been, you know, are you sure about this? So he goes in and he prays, Lord, I'm paraphrasing this a little bit. Lord, my wife claims to have uh, heard this. If this is true, Lord, please send this guy back. I need to confirm this. I need to make sure that this really went down. You can kind of hear his heart. He wants to make sure. It's exciting news. Think about it. They've been barren. And this man of God comes and prophesies and says, you're going to have a child. And here's what you need to do to prepare for him. This is exciting news. And so Manoah, uh, and and I'm blessed to see that he was a man of prayer. Here's a nation that has drifted away from God. For 40 years they've been under the oppression of the enemy. But there's still people praying. Still people that are committed to God. That's a blessing to see. God has his remnant in all generations. Verse 9. And God listened to the voice of Manoah. And the angel of God came to the woman again as she was sitting in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. Here we go again. Then the woman ran in haste and told her husband and said to him, Look, the man who came to me the other day has just now appeared to me. So Manoah arose and followed his wife, and when he came to the man, he said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, I am. Manoah said, Now let your words come to pass. What will be the boy's rule of life and his work? Tell us more about this promised son. Verse 13, So the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat anything that comes from the vine, nor may she drink wine or similar drink, nor eat anything unclean. All that I commanded her, let her observe. So the angel of the Lord confirms this to Manoah and uh, appears again to the wife. She runs and gets Manoah and the Lord confirms this word. And again, this will be the key to Samson's strength. It will be this set apart to God. And, and the angel of the Lord wants even the parents to begin to set this young, this child in the womb and ultimately this, this son apart for the Lord's work. You know, um, it is interesting that the angel, appear, the angel of the Lord appears to the wife 
and uh, she comes and, and speaks to the husband. I, you know, I, I don't know that he doubted her. He may have. He certainly wanted some confirmation. But then the Lord, so the angel of the Lord returns, but again, not to Manoah, but again to the wife. The wife has to go and, and bring Manoah, and he's able to get this confirmation. Now it speaks to just the importance of wives in their husbands' lives. Um, how important it is for husbands to recognize that God often will speak into a household through the wife. Uh, now, this was a praying man. This was a godly man. God could have easily spoke to him, but he chose to speak to the, to the wife and then confirm it again, starting with the wife, but then eventually the husband was able to see it. Now, we know that God has given spiritual leadership to, to, to men in, the, in a marriage relationship, but we also recognize that God has brought helpmates to us, don't we men? And we need help, don't we men? <laughs> And so there is this, I don't know, I found something very beautiful about that. That here the Lord uses the wife to bring this message of hope into the family. And Manoah is a praying man, and, he, and obviously he loves his wife and, and is, is, is looking for God's will and is and certainly able to accept this word. And I, I have discovered that oftentimes the Lord's wisdom for my life, for my family, resides in my wife's heart. Uh, sometimes, you know, I'm, I'm seeking the Lord on something, and I, I'm, you know, I, I want to get my wife's input. I look for that. Has God called me to, to, to be the leader? Yes, I believe so. But I don't want to be the kind of leader that just thinks he always has all the answers. That's not a good leader. A good leader recognizes that God has given him a good wife to help and to, to partner and to co-labor and to partner in this journey of spiritual life together. I'm purposefully not looking down at my wife. Have you noticed that? <laughs> I don't want her... Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what she's going to do, but I just don't want to give her that credit right now. But... Guys, just practically, this is something I've discovered in my own... Uh, I like to hear my wife pray. So I will, I will purposefully say, hey, let's pray together, and you start, you know. She doesn't want to do that. She wants me to start. But I want to hear her prayer, because, often, you know, when you hear your wife prayer, pray, you hear that kind of unfiltered, just crying out to God. Here's what's in my heart to God. And I don't know, I, I, I glean from that. I get insight from that. It speaks to my heart. It gives me insight as to what the Lord is saying in my life. And so it's important that, um, I mean, this is true, it goes both ways. Wives, listen, a lot of times God's wisdom for you, it's in the heart of your husband. And there just needs to be a willingness to allow God to minister to us through our spouse. Because that's the way God, I believe, has designed it in a marriage relationship. Let's move on. Quickly. Uh, <laughs> verse 15. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, Please let us detain you and we will prepare a young goat for you. Well, kind of an extension of hospitality. Let us prepare a meal for you. This is wonderful news that you're bringing. And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Though you detain me, I will not eat your food. 
But if you offer a burnt offering, you must offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know he was the angel of the Lord. Manoah did not yet realize who this angel of the Lord was. He's going to be revealed to him here shortly. Verse 17. Then Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name that when your words come to pass, we may honor you? And the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? The scripture tells us thus far that this is the angel of the Lord. And we're going to find out that this was the angel of the Lord, that it was in fact the Lord in angelic form. We would call this a theophany, a pre-New uh, Testament uh, manifestation of Jesus Christ himself. God the Father is spirit and cannot be seen, by, but, but the Son appearing in uh, the form of a man, uh, and we will see that this is how the Old Testament would often refer to the Lord's appearing as the angel, the angel of the Lord. Remember the captain of the Lord's army when he appeared to Joshua. It was in fact a theophany, a, an Old Testament appearance of Christ. It was the Lord appearing. But... Uh, Manoah does not understand this, so he's just trying to extend hospitality. But, but the angel of the Lord says, no, rather just make an offering to the Lord. Well, what's your name? And he says, why do you ask, seeing that my name is wonderful? This could also mean remarkable or incomprehensible. In other words, um, you're not quite ready to know my name. Uh, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Had the angel of the Lord said, This is my name, Manoah would not have understood. And so why do you ask, seeing that it is wonderful, it is remarkable, it is beyond your ability to comprehend exactly who I am? And this is true. Oftentimes the Lord keeps some things in mystery. And we have to trust Him and we have to obey Him. And so um, now they're going to realize, pick it up with me in verse 19, that this is in fact the angel of the Lord. So Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it upon the rock to the Lord. And he did a wondrous thing while Manoah and his wife looked on. It happened as the flame went up toward heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. And when Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell on their faces to the ground. When the angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and his wife, then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, what shall, We shall surely die because we have seen God. But his wife said to him, Here again, the wife's got some wisdom. If the Lord had desired to kill us, He would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hands, nor would he have shown us all these things, nor would he have told us such things as these at this time. They they make this offering to the Lord, and as the flame goes up from this stone altar, the angel of the Lord 
goes up in the flames and vanishes. And so, and this, now they realize this is the angel of the Lord. Manoah knows we've seen God and, you know, no one can see God and live. We're dead. And the wife says, it seems strange that he would come and give all this promise of a future only to kill us here at this altar. I guess you're right, honey. I I guess I hadn't thought that one through just yet. (laughs) Uh, She has faith and she has some wisdom. But it is something that the Lord gives this couple. And, you know, God, think about this now. God is giving them a very profound promise. They've been barren. This is beyond uh, anything that that they deem even possible. Not only that they would have a child, but that he would have this special calling to begin the deliverance of their people from the Philistines. And with that kind of a word, and that's a, that's a pretty bold promise, God also gives a certain strong sense of confirmation for them to believe it, and so that they can hold on to it. And I think the Lord does work this way in our lives. You know, there are times when the Lord will make a promise in your heart, and it seems so strong and so profound, and He'll confirm it, sometimes through two or three witnesses, that somehow God just letting you know, this is me, this is what I'm going to do. And that becomes kind of the baseline for faith. That becomes something you hold on to, Because there's going to be seasons, there's going to be times when you're going to doubt and you're going to wonder and you're going to have to go back. But remember when the Lord spoke to us. Remember, uh, honey, He went up in the flame. That's right. That's right. That strong word of confirmation becomes reinforcement for faith as you walk forward. I don't know about you, but I... You know, there are times I have to kind of dial back and remember where I started and that, okay, that was you, Lord. Whatever that is, go back to that place where you know God was working and speaking and doing something. Because you may be at a place now, you wonder, where's God? You know, it happens in ministry. There have been times even in, you know, in pastoring this work, this church, there have been times where I wonder, God, what's going on? Is this really you? Time things get difficult. There are trials. There are, and you begin to wonder, Lord, what am I doing? Am I really doing something that you're in? Is this a work you want to accomplish, Lord? Is this really you? And God has to kind of take me back in time and remember the things that He did to establish the work, to start the work, to promise the work. And then, as you walk back through that, you come back to the place. It has to be God. You know, and like Manoah's wife, you know, it has to be the Lord. He's promised these things. And, uh, you know, I rem- we remember how profoundly He confirmed them. And that becomes an encouragement for you. Because there are going to be seasons when that word gets tested. Think about Joseph and some of those dreams he saw. Whew, think about all the years he was, you know, serving Pharaoh and then imprisoned in Egypt. But he had these dreams, he had these promises. And he had, to, he had to reflect on that. He had to remember those were real. That was a real spiritual reality in my life. And that, it, there's a verse in the Psalms that says, and, and until the Lord fulfilled that word, that word tried him. It was his faith being tested. He would have to hold on to those promises. Maybe you're, you're having to hold on to some promises tonight. 
Go back to when that, that time when you know that the Lord was working and speaking and recognize that He's still with you from there forward. He's not done. He's going to complete what He's begun. And you have His promises and you know that you know that you know that He spoke to you, that He called you, that He set you where in this, in, on this course. And then you have to continue on in faith. They're getting this kind of, of, of a great demonstration of the Lord because the Lord wants to affirm this in their heart and the Lord wants them to be diligent in keeping His instruction. That, that they would be very careful. And you can just imagine after seeing what they saw, they were very careful to follow the Lord's instructions as Samson was born. Verse 24, we'll finish here as we finish the chapter. So the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. And the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move upon him at Mahana, Dan, between Zorah and Eshtaol. Samson is born. They, they name him Samson. Some commentators I was reading, they, Samson meaning sunny or brightness. Again, uh, Joseph Josephus, the Jewish historian, uh, he claims that uh, Jewish tradition recognized the name meaning strength. But the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit began to move upon him. Uh, this is a man born with great promise, a man born with great plan and purpose and potential. And the lesson as we move forward, and you, you know how the story goes if you're familiar with Samson, Uh, The lesson will be, although God was able to use and accomplish His purpose, uh, Samson would be a tragic story of a life that was consecrated to God, but seemed to lack communion with God, and uh, would be his own character that would cause him the most trouble. Not the enemy, but the enemy of himself, but... These are the things we'll look at more closely as we get into these chapters in the coming weeks. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the lessons for us in the book of Judges. Lord, there's just good, rich, spiritual principles for us to apply. Whether it be the warning against envy and jealousy and pride. and Lord, as the tribe of Ephraim came challenging Jephthah, wanting credit, wanting notoriety, wanting position and recognition and jealous of Jephthah's victory and success. Lord, guard our hearts. Lord, let not this fierce stronghold take root in us, but rather that we would surrender it to you. Just as you warned Cain, Lord, that you would warn us tonight that we would not let sin, which, which is at the door for all of us, Lord. Jesus, you taught us to pray that we should pray, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Mm-hmm. And so, Lord, help us to surrender any, any jealousy, any envy, anything that in, in our heart, God, that would lead us to temptation and, and bring us to evil, Lord. Set our hearts right. Give us pure hearts, Lord. Trusting in you, being content with what you have planned for each of us, because you love us. And Lord, also we thank you for just just the beautiful story of this blessing. Come to Manoah and his wife, 
Lord, a, a godly couple in a very godless time, and, and yet a praying couple, and you meet them. And you bring promise, and you bring blessing, and you bring the miraculous, and you speak to them, Lord. And you just bless them. They went from just a couple barren and wondering and waiting to a couple that were, were excited and blessed and just rejoicing in what you were doing in their lives. Help us, Lord, as we walk through seasons of barrenness to trust in you, to wait on you. And Lord, bring those words of promise and hope. Confirm things in our heart, God. Those things that you've spoken into the hearts of your people, even here tonight, Lord. I pray that you would revive them. And that you would restore them in hope and faith. And as our heads are bowed here tonight and we close in prayer, I I do want to give opportunity for anyone that may be here tonight needing to respond to the Lord. I'm thinking of someone that may not have a relationship with God. You've never come to a place of faith in Jesus Christ. But the Lord is speaking to you tonight and... If you'd like to receive Jesus and ask Him to forgive you of your sins and receive the mercy and grace that God has made available because of His cross, I'd love to pray for you and ask the Lord into your life. Maybe you're here tonight and you need to rededicate, recommit your life to the Lord. Maybe God's put His finger on something in your own heart that just needs to be surrendered tonight and you realize you're you're not walking with him you're not trusting him you're not walking in close fellowship and faith you need to just recommit your heart to him tonight i'd love to pray for you as well so if you're here tonight and you need the lord jesus for the very first time or you need to rededicate recommit your life to the lord just please raise your hand where you're seated as we close here tonight and we'll pray God bless you, sir. You over here, ma'am, as well. Sir, I see you in the back there. And you up here in the front, amen. Amen. And you, sir, as well. Amen. Oh, the Lord loves you. It's so good to come to the Lord. Because you have such a confidence that you're going to find mercy and grace and love and help. broken and a contrite heart he will not reject anyone else here tonight before i pray for these that have responded lord speaking to you and you want this prayer anyone else god bless you ma'am amen all right let me pray for these that have responded tonight lord here we are just amazed at um, how your spirit brings your words to life in our heart We come just thinking it's going to be a Bible study and we discover that you're speaking. You're speaking directly into my life. It's because you love me. And it's because you care about me. And it's because your words are true. And so God, for these that have responded tonight, I I ask that you would just meet them in this moment with such a... uh, a flood of love and grace and help that they would know that you are with them and for them tonight. That they would come honestly before you even now in this moment and they would simply say, Jesus, please forgive me of my sin. I recognize that I've missed the mark. I fall short. I need your help in my life, not because I deserve it, not because of anything that I can do to earn it. 
But because you love me and died on the cross for me, you took the penalty for my sin that I might be forgiven and that I might have a relationship with you of life and peace. Meet us in this prayer tonight. Meet these hearts, Lord. Confirm your will and promise into their life, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me tonight? We want to close in a song of worship.